Hey, everybody, here's another story-only episode uh, that normally goes out to uh, $5 and up patrons. And I want to thank about the 45 people who have raised their pledge uh, so far. Uh, it means we're like at 10% there, uh, and I'd love it if you're in a position to do so. And you get a uh, 5 10 or $20 of, of value out of the podcast. If you think about increasing your pledge to that level, it helps sustain the long-term sustainability for the show. It's kind of just a value-for-value deal. Uh, And uh, if you're not sure how to do that, just just go to our FAQ over at sleepwithmepodcast.com slash FAQ. All right, everybody, we're talking. Oh, wait, I didn't. I got to start. I'll be right back. I didn't didn't start the episode on the the old uh, Amazon thingamajig. Hold on. All right, now I'm back here. I I got everything I need to keep you company now. Yeah, we're to cover in episode 13, Michael's Gambit, The Good Place, season one. And ideally, I'll announce this during the intro and on social media a few times, but I have decided my love of The Good Place is so strong, and this happened with Game of Thrones, is that we are going to pick up right when season three begins with more Good Place coverage. Uh, so between now, when you hear this episode in The Good Place, we'll have some... Uh, uh, in between, maybe just a few Star Trek episodes. Uh, and then when season three starts, uh, I think we'll have probably, maybe you have a weekly release of The Good Place. Uh, but we'll see about that. We'll see. Um, uh, but yeah, I've just been enjoying it so much. It's, it's such a well done, uh, just a brilliant show. And then next, uh, whatever that is, spring. We'll return to uh, Good Place coverage and we'll do season two. So we'll have to wait a little bit uh, for season two, but you can enjoy it on your own. You can listen to the Good Place podcast, uh, the official one. And, uh, yeah, so we start off uh, uh, episode 13, Michael's Gambit. Uh, and a kid, the kid, a kid comes up to Michael. Michael's, Michael's working in a oh, – what do we want to say about this? He has an adding machine on his desk. I have a pause right now. And he has a lot of stamps. Stamps. He's working in what looks like a bank. There's even a uh, like a banking uh, safety person there, an older gentleman with a uh, Wilford Brimley-esque mustache. Not very good posture. Uh, he's inside of a I don't know work work zone. Before they had cubicles, this is pre cubicle era. Uh, to Michael's left, I don't know if that's his inbox or his work, uh, but he's got a giant pile of work. This is uh, no computers. He has one of those things, with a Rolodex style card system. He has a desk calendar. So very traditional. He's got his blotter. Look, it looks like right now he's working in some sort of uh, older book, uh, maybe a ledger. Uh, he has uh, six desk drawers, or maybe maybe five. Uh, I mean, in six total, like three on the right, maybe two larger ones, uh, file size drawers on the left, and then a center drawer. His chair does look pretty comfortable, an older chair. So again, the uh, set design, amazing as always on this show. Uh, but a kid comes up to him. He calls him Mike. Uh, and also on Michael's says he has a plaque that says, you don't have to be a mortal work here, but it sure helps. Uh, I don't know if that's, I think that probably is a hint. I don't know, though. And the young kid is Dave, who seems to be his supervisor, even though he's young. And, you know, you also see a bank vault. A lot of cool stuff to look at, in the, like some sort of time travel or uh, 
or ethereal subway or something uh, through a bank vault. Uh, something big guy fly solo. We see so Mike gets his shot at the big leagues. Architects only. We see the sign. We see the uh, uh, light shining through on his desk, and then we see Michael's face in the present time, looking uh, uh, daydreamy and morose, uh, daydreaming. Uh, Chidi and Tahani are still in their fedoras from last episode, which is crack up. And Michael goes, Michael and uh, Sean, they go behind. They say, hey, make a decision here. And he, they go behind, into Eleanor's bedroom and close the clown doors. Oh, no, Michael just goes in there. At some point, Sean's in there, though. And we hear the clown music. Uh, and, yeah, I think that's it. Uh, and then the show episode opens. Uh, chapter 13, Michael's Gambit. And uh, let's see. Oh, clown. Is that the clown from the opera? We'll find out about that later. Jason gets the best joke early on, uh, a few back-to-back jokes, uh, but then he nails it. He says, it's basic, basic consequentialism. The morality of an action is solely judged on its consequences. Yeah, that's when his character is, like, I love it when uh, he, he can kind of be on both sides. Like, uh, his brilliance shines through. He also says, Jianyu, the incre- amazing, incredible monk, uh, which reminded me of that incredible edible egg ad campaign, which just got relaunched. Maybe they'd sponsor a podcast. Uh, Jason on his hand, he has a giant ring on. I guess his wedding ring. Uh, Eleanor says when Chidi and or when Chidi and Eleanor are talking, uh, Tahani says it's like two beef eaters on a tea break. Sulfur. Uh, uh, oh boy, I can't horse dog. I don't know what any of this says. Uh, it cannot read my writing and it doesn't even make it. Wither Tahani, that's another, uh, what does this say though? Oh, black wire sculpture. I was like, what does this say? Black wire sculpture. First time I noticed it in Eleanor's house. I think it's a horse or a dog. It's a black wire sculpture. I said sulpicur. Isn't that some w- weird word? Uh, oh no, sculpture. Uh, really get a lot of shots of her apartment and different things that even I didn't notice. Uh, you know, the places we didn't get to spend some time. Maybe next season we will, or season three. Uh, Jason apologizes, a pretty quality apology to Tahani uh, for kind of, uh, you know, messing up her game. Sound, Sam, something. It was dry. Oh, this is oh, this is the highlight of the season for me. This this writing is so good, and so deep, and so loving. I don't know. Eleanor says to Chidi, uh, "I was dropped into a cave, and you were my flashlight." Wow. Uh, I don't know. I mean, especially when Kristen Bell delivers it to Chidi, like, uh, like, because uh, he says, "Well, she's had to kind of let you down," and she goes, "No." Uh, I don't know, I just find that beautiful, uh, really, like, uh, it was dropped into a cave and you were my flashlight. So, both, uh, it has all of it, it has a, it has a more, it has, you know, all of the kinds of love that I, uh, and that I can't remember whether they're Greek or Latin, you know, it has it all. And, you know, even Sophia or whatever, because, you know, Chidi is wisdom. 
Uh, real Eleanor knocks on the door three times. She knocks three times, Eleanor does. Uh, Michael and Sean are talking about Michael's possible retirement in front of two, the two color clowns uh, inside Eleanor's room. Uh, full, full color, larger than life clowns uh, uh, painted on the doors to her bedroom. Her bedroom would be really good. Uh, I don't know about the airflow. But you could get her bedroom very, very dark, which is what you're supposed to do, uh, whether you sleep during the day or night. I don't know what her window situation is with those doors closed. And you have to keep an eye on LEDs, but uh, I think that's a good thing. Like, I've been really thinking about uh, a return, like a homemade, I mean, I almost sleep, I, I have to, because they live in a, a, like, a tougher area to live in. I have my living room slips, slips you know, uh, half a bedroom, a half a living room, and so I have curtains. And I was like, if I ever move, I probably would keep some sort of a homemade canopy, you know, because so you, you really want it dark when it sleeps, but you got to have that airflow too. Uh, D, all-knowing. All oh, Sean had a great line here. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, Sean says, I'm just the all-knowing judge of all matters in the afterlife. Uh, that's good. And then we see Mike and Val. Michael's working at his new architecture station. Uh, Val, a co-worker, she gets coffee. Michael says, yeah, we have regular and antimatter. He's working on blueprints. Uh, what does it say? Michael Hug? Michael something. Uh, he's also wearing a thin, uh, regular necktie, uh, which I said, what in the heck? Uh, a good job. She says, she, why do you, why do they make French vanilla? Um, and then he starts a, a bold new plan for his new neighborhood. I guess that's his gambits. Uh, let me see. He says, uh, let's see, don't you get the feeling we could be doing it all differently? I mean, it's always the same. You know, we get the names, come up with the designs, move on to the next one. We never even get to be there to see how fun it is. And Vale says, don't rock the boat. Just try to do a good job. And Michael says, a good job. And then maybe is what gave him the idea. Yeah, then we go back to Eleanor's. Everyone's trying to figure out who's going to go to the bad place or not. Uh, Tahani's like, uh, oh, me and Chidi will go. He's like, it's not a couple's retreat. Uh, then there's a lot, a lot of funny stuff. Move on, Chidi. Then there's Robot Lover. And every, as everyone's arguing, you can see the light bulb go on over uh, Eleanor's head. And then she kind of takes command. And she goes, yo, Mikey, uh, come on out, uh, Sean, Mikey, or whatever. Uh, and she figures everything out. And if you're, this is your first time watching, I mean, this is a spoiler. But if you watch the first season spoiler-free, as I got to... It was such a good payoff. Uh, it was like you, you knew not, something was not right the whole time, and there was so much misdirection uh, that to me, I mean, it, I was like, uh, maybe I suspected it, but, you know, it was just it was such a fun ride. And she says, yeah, me and Chidi will go down to the bad place. Uh, she goes, let's do it. Uh, right as rain, someone says. Uh, call the train. And let's see, Buzz after, Buzz off, oh, Bomba John shows up, uh, and it says, Buzz off, Bomba John, let's do it to do it, uh, I don't know, oh yeah, let's do it, me and Chidi, let's do it, 
to it. Let's do it to it. Uh, and then she explains everything. After they kick Bamba John out, she goes, Joe, this is, uh, you, well, you'll know if you watch. Uh, and Michael has a great laugh. Uh, he says, oh, man. And he can't believe it. He uh, passively, aggressively knocks a cactus off a fake uh, side table that looks like a uh, log. He says, this is a cluster fork. Uh, Jason says, oh, dip. Then real Eleanor comes in without knocking this time. Her true name is Vicky. Uh, then we have a flashback to Michael's big pitch. This is where, like, so there's a, he brings out a board. He's pitching to the rest of the Bad Place crew. And he did a lot of pausing. I wasn't able to get everything written down, but he brings up a, a cork board with, uh, as he explains his test run, that's going to be Eleanor Cheedy. Uh, it goes Cheedy on the left. Let's see, if it was a, a, a what do you call that thing, uh, a compass, it would have been Chidi on the west, Eleanor in the north, uh, Jason in the east, and uh, Tahani in the south. And there's all notes interconnecting them. Under Eleanor says, as only child, uh, Arizona born and bred, petty, selfish, uh, lacks empathy. And this is Eleanor frustrate Jason by trying to control his behavior. Jason will make a... Eleanor Fear getting sent back. Uh, Jason Mendoza, DJ from Florida, below average intelligence, uh, no all impulse control. And then Eleanor and Tahani. Eleanor will get attention Tahani craves from Chidi and Jason. Uh, Tahani's perfect and flawless. Uh, uh, will make uh, Eleanor feel insecure. Uh, Jason will uh, torment Chidi by being uh, his exact opposite, impulsive and uh, inconsiderate. Uh, Tahani will uh, heighten Jason's worries uh, by holding parties and parading him around. Uh, Jason will make Tahani miserable by not talking or giving her the attention she desires. Uh, Chidi represents all the things Jason dislikes. Let's see, Tahani, judgmental socialite, mega fundraiser, major family issues is what it says under her. I couldn't get cheaty. I could never get it. Maybe I'll get it on this watch. I could pause it. Uh, but Michael says uh, a thousand years. This will go on for a thousand years. And then Sean says, I wouldn't give it six months. Uh, here's his big pitch. He says, let's make the human afterlife more fun for us. Uh, it's time to innovate. Uh, he has a 14 million point plan. Uh, even the headshots are hilarious and really good. Uh, Sean has something about like uh, pulling, uh, which is good. He says, I took a good place, Janet. Uh, Glenn's there, our, fa- you know, our favorite person to observe. He makes a lot of eye movements. I couldn't tell if he's throwing shade or he's actually interested. Yeah, so that was cool. 14 million point plan. Michael's still coming up with ideas though, last minute, because then they start showing when they're working on the plan. I said, oh yeah, for a 14 million point plan, it wasn't very planned out because then Michael's standing outside the door while Chidi and Eleanor are arguing in like episode three or four, sending in the couples counselor and the body language experts who swing and, uh, 
they're just coming up with ideas on the spot. I said, what kind of 14 million point plan is this, uh, Michael? By the way, you don't, you know, if you're listening for real, don't, you know, don't worry. I'm just joking. Oh, Sean's the one that uses the word gambit. Uh, yeah, last minute with uh, private eye and therapist. Uh, they did not anticipate zero uh, one sixty billion for charity. Oh, yeah, Michael said, gee, we didn't anticipate it. It turns out uh, Jason thought uh, Tahani came up with $1,000 for charity. I think she said $60 billion. Uh, that's a lot of charity. Notifications, only real goal. Uh, oh, motivations. Uh, Tahani talks about her motivations. One of her goal, her only real goal is to snag Ryan Gosling at the Met Ball, which she did a few times, she said. Then Chidi thinks he's in the bad place because of his consumption of almond milk. And then they say, no, it's because you're rigid and indecisive. And then Ellen kind of uses this superhero thing. She says, Jesus, this is wonderful. You succeeded in bringing us together. And then Mike says, well, next time I'll fix that. Uh, and then Eleanor says, we got to come up with a quick plan. And everyone's mouth is open slack. Uh, we see Eleanor's patio. She has white stone like uh, on some parts of her patio, and maybe some bark out there, maybe a willow tree. She uses a page from the book What We Owe Each Other uh, to write a note to herself, uh, find Cheaty. And then Eleanor, you know, she's she's pretty confident, so she tells Michael, you're basic. Uh, and then we see her eyes, and we hear the ting, and we see welcome, everything is fine. And cool, I don't know what that means, but... Uh, Cool. My, oh, and then Michael's got a purple pocket square, kind of a dark polka dotted, uh, oh no, with dark dots on the polka, yeah, on the pocket square. I wouldn't say polka dots, so. Vlad bow tie, maybe Madras uh, bow tie. He tours around, and is now instead of uh, frozen yogurt, it's pizza. So we see restaurants like All the Pizza, Perfect Temperature Pizza, uh, Plenty of Pizza, Correct. Uh, combination of toppings is having a hundred percent off sale it ends never eleanor meets her soulmate but this time it's like it looks like aaron Rodgers a little bit uh and he's a sexy mailman i mean oh boy i said oh boy i'm comfortable saying he's a sexy mailman and uh he says he, he loves to work out and <laughs> i mean she's kind of like uh okay i guess i could i could work with this uh, he's from Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, and I, I noticed in the Pyrex box or whatever, I know it's not Pyrex, but uh, Lucite, uh, that the clown even had clown shoes. Then in this new reality, Janet's in a green outfit instead of her uh, kind of teal or whatever is that, teal and purple or, yeah. Uh, it's uh, I wouldn't say it's a pea green, but it's like a pea green-like color. And then the season ends with Eleanor saying, what the fork is a cheaty? I think we'll see the end of it here, but I think that's how it ends. Uh, but this episode was very um, reference heavy, so we'll get a lot of references to go over. First is the meaning of the word gambit, uh, G-A-M-B-I-T, yeah, which has a couple of different meanings. Uh, it's a noun. It can mean in chess, an opening where the player seeks to obtain some advantage by sacrificing a pawn or piece. 
any maneuver where someone uh, seeks to gain an advantage or a remark made to open or redirect a conversation. Uh, Gamut gauntlet uh, can be confused with. Uh, So I don't know which of those Michael's doing, but it also reminds me, like I used to watch the cartoon X-Men at some point when it like, and there was a character Gambit on there, who's a, like a Marvel character, probably being a movie soon, but I don't really know a lot about Gambit, but now we will. It's uh, from a Wikipedia, Remy, it's Ian Labou, or a fictional character, Marvel, an association, commonly in association with the X-Men. It was created by Chris Claremont and Jim Lee, drawn by Mike Collins, uh, First appearance in uh, Uncanny X-Men Annual 14 in July 1990 and Uncanny X-Men 266 in August 1990. And, uh, you know, super new, it has, Gambit has the ability to mentally create, control, and manipulate pure kinetic energy to his desire. Also incredibly knowledgeable and skilled in card-throwing, hand-to-hand combat, and the bow staff. It can charge uh, playing cards and other objects with kinetic energy, you know, and, and cause them to do stuff for heroes. Even cooler, and a throwback to, you know, video games and D&D, is he was a part of a Thieves Guild before joining the X-Men. Uh, and because that few X-Men trusted Gambit when he first joined, uh, this was a source, again, with his romantic interest, Rogue, and uh, exasperated when... Uh, Gambit had connections to Mr. Sinister, uh, though some team members uh, think that, uh, you know, Gambit's uh, honest and seeking redemption. You know, Gambit has been, you know, kind of tried to be all machismo, but he's also has this thing with Rogue, uh, proud of his Louisiana heritage, uh, speaks in a thick Cajun accent. Uh, has appeared in some 2013 solo series in tw- starting in 2013, uh, trying to make uh, Gambit a title character. Uh, Gambit and the Externals and the X-Force replacement. Uh, 65th on the top 100 comic book heroes of all time. That's not too shabby, Gambit. Uh, kind of, uh, let's see what else we got. Publication history, we kind of covered that. Uh, Early life, this is like a G.I. Joe thing, uh, early life, uh, yeah, he was uh, raised by LeBeau Clan Thieves Guild and given to Antiquary. Uh, he had a nickname as a kid, that's interesting, um, and went into, joined Fagan, uh, another, you know, different Fagan, but same thing. Oh, maybe that's how he ended up in LeBeau. Yeah, his biokinetic char- charging abilities manifested in his teens, though he kept his powers secret. Yeah, when he was 15, he accompanied his cousin to on his tithing uh, as a thieves' guild test. Didn't go well, because they were supposed to uh, take uh, the immortal, uh, uh, powerful immortal mutant Ch- Chandra who quickly, you know, said, uh, I'm not going to be captured by you two. And let's see, well, they, you know, dealt with a bunch of other stuff. Uh, we're going to jo- have to join Hydra. And re- re- then he said, I'll use my powers to get out of here. 
then uh, used a playing card that his uh, Etienne had dropped, uh, and then they jumped in the sea. Uh, then he worked for Mr. Sinister, who was under the disguise of Dr. Nathan, Nathaniel Essex, who wanted a stolen diaries back. And then uh, also, I guess, uh, Gambit doesn't like the cold. And then uh, met, ran into Wolverine, uh, found the diaries, didn't give them to Essex, uh, got rid of the diaries, and no one was happy. Uh, got married once uh, and uh, then got exiled. Um, uh, went back to Mr. Sinister, who modified Gambit's uh, power, making him less powerful but more able to control his powers. Uh, but then maybe it got returned. I don't know. Uh, after wandering the world, uh, uh, he ran into a depowered storm, helped her, uh, rescued uh, somebody from a nanny. And uh, a bunch of other stuff. It's so, 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 so interesting. Uh, well, yeah, a lot of stuff. So uh, definitely a character with a lot of uh, history here. And uh, cool. I mean, I just remember from the cartoon uh, that was on only for too short a time. Now, how about uh, that uh, opera with the C-L-O-W-N in it? Uh, Agliacci. Aliachi, I think it's uh, the G silent, those scoots. Oh, thank you, uh, Opera Brain. Uh, it literally translated to clowns, an Italian opera with a prologue and two acts, uh, music and uh, libretto by uh, Leon Cavial. Leon Cavialo. With music and libretto by Leon Cavialo. Maybe uh, frequently staged uh, with uh, a double bill, uh, Cavalleria Rustic, like, uh, yes, sometimes in a double bill with another opera. Uh, let's see, around 1800, uh, after uh, something else premiered, uh, Leon Caviallo was a little known composer and saw his friend's success and wrote an opera in response. Uh, it was one act uh, composed in the Verissimo style. And he wrote the story of Pagliacci based on interest. It was like a thing from his childhood, uh, which, uh, you know, influenced him. And then uh, once they heard about the plot, they said, well, it's a bit like another French play. And so they said, well, it's like, uh, I, don't, I think you took my idea. They went back and forth and said, no, it's my own idea. Drop it. Uh, and they did. But he was a student of French culture. But, you know, you, you have to think of these things. Uh, it re- got mixed reviews at its world premiere. More, intru- I guess the plot you can't even speak of. Uh, uh, let's see, in the prologue, the overture of the curtain rises, but there's a second curtain, uh, Tonino, uh, dressed as his comedic character, Taddeo, addresses the audience uh, and reminds the audience that actors have feelings too and that the show's about real people. 
I mean, everyone, a couple of these songs you pretty much know. It's three o'clock uh, in Act One. They enter the village. The villagers cheer. They give a, a performance of Troubles of Pagliaccio. And they're trying to figure out the timekeeping. And uh, the villagers uh, say, hey, come to the pub, local tavern. Uh, Tonio stays behind. And, uh, you know, there's like, you know, love circle type things and kissing and then saying, oh, let's not kiss. And then, uh, you know, then a lot of singing. And so that goes on. I mean, I like, uh, I guess, uh, I can't, it's, it's, uh, it's deep stuff. And it ends with the line, the comedy is finished, uh, uh which pro- pro- parallels the prologue. And the appropriation of this final line dates back to 1895. Uh, John Wright analyzed the dramaturgy of the opera in the context of the assignment of the final line and concluded the original assignment of the final line to Tonio is the most consistent appropriate assignment. Uh, but sometimes uh, Tonio delivers the final line and sometimes Canio delivers, Canio delivers it. Uh, uh, orchestra consists of two floats, one piccolo, two obols, one core anglaise, uh, two clarinets, one bass clarinet, three bassoons, holy bassoons, four horns, three trumpets, three trombones, one tuba, uh, two harps, a tapani, and a tubular, bell, tubular, bell, tubular bells, or however you say that, uh, percussion. <clears throat> And on stage, there's a violin, oboe, trumpet, and bass drum as part of the show. A percussion, triangle, cymbals, bass drum, and a glockenspiel. And maybe a tam-tam. Uh, it's given three strokes before the announcement that comedy is over. Uh, let's see what else we have. So it's a little bit about Pagliacci. It's also Seinfeld kind of brought it back, uh, what about the incredible edible egg? This is real brief, but it's uh, it was a famous uh, marketing slogan for the American Egg Board. Yeah, Swan Gallery's uh, Saul Mendel's uh, poster in '76 uh, maybe came up with it. In twenty in twenty twelve, a new version came out, and I thought I saw somewhere recently that in twenty eighteen they're working on it again. But I guess that's it. That's all I have for the research. But it was like the incredible edible egg. Just reminding me when John says uh, the incredible amazing monk. Uh, and what about beef eaters? I really didn't. I thought I had covered beef eaters before. Turns out I know nothing about beef eaters and many things. Yeoman warders uh, of Her Majesty's Royal Palace and the Fortress of the Tower of London and the members of the Sovereign's Body Guard of the Yeoman Guard Extraordinary. And that's a serious title. A popularly, popularly known as the Beefeaters are the ceremonial gardens of the Tower of London. In principle, they're there to look after whoever's there, keep the crown jewels safe, and lately they have to conduct tours uh, since the Victorian era. In 2011, there were 37 yeoman warders and one chief warder. All warders are retired from the armed forces of Commonwealth realms and must be former warrant officers with at least 22 years of service. So you can't just get this job. Uh, They also must hold the long service and good conduct medals. Uh, 
Uh, they're often referred to incorrectly by the yeoman of the guard, which is actually a distinct core of something else. Uh, they are a separate entity. Uh, Gilbert and Sullivan's opera, The Yeoman of the Guard, is set in the 16th century, uh, before the two corps were split apart and concerns what are today the yeoman warders. Also, I think there was a band that, like, Jerry Garcia was in once, uh, with, like, the yeoman warders, uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm making that up, uh, I try to think who else would be in it, uh. Uh, let's see, Beefeater is uh, from uncertain origin, uh, so maybe in the 17th century, a slam, slang, term for, slang term for English in general. The earliest connection to the royal household is a reference to the Yeoman of the Guard uh, by uh, Cosimo III for de' Medici, the Grand Duke of Tuscany. Uh, who frequented the court in 1669, said uh, the yeoman of the guard eat a lot of beef. Uh, might as well be called beef eaters. Uh, then the name was carried over the yeoman warders due to the two corps' uh, similarities and the yeoman warders' more public presence. Uh, beef eaters also, uh, here's the, something, you know, this is a business I proposed about a year ago. Uh, sipping broth. Here's the thing: beef eaters don't take tea breaks. They sip broth. They commonly produced and consumed broths made of beef. Uh, those broths were known at the time as beffy or beef beff. So they were into sipping broth, which is a new thing. One day, where you'll go instead of going tea tasting or having an adult beverage, you'll go someplace and you'll do, have some sipping broth, or you'll buy it at Trader Joe's. Uh, let's see, what else do we need? The Tudor, Tudor Yeoman, uh, Yeoman Orders were formed in uh, 1485 by King Henry VII, the first monarch of the Tudor dynasty. Uh, the Tudor Rose is part of the badge they wear today. Uh, 1509, Henry VIII moved to the official residence from the Tower of London, uh, but the Tower retained the formal status of a royal palace, uh, uh, to mark this party of 12 yeomen of the guard were left in place as a token garrison. Then their name were changed to the Tower Warders to more accurately reflect their duties. As warders without any ceremonial state functions, they fortified the right to wear the scarlet royal livery and of, now, of the now separate yeoman of the guard. Uh, this was restored to them during uh, Edward the uh, Fifth uh, in 1547, and uh, you know they were impressed by the behavior of the warders. Uh, they were split. The original Tudor guard was split into two categories: ordinary guard and uh, the additional troops of the extraordinary. Uh, something, something. Current composition: we said 37 plus the boss. Uh, retired members of the service, as we said, they normally wear an undress uniform of dark blue with red trimmings, and when a sovereign visits the tower or the warders are on duty as state occasion, they wear red and gold, similar to those of the yeomen of the guard. These uniforms are referred to by the yeoman warders as Tudor, Tudor state dress. What are you saying? They get to live there? They and their families lived in t tied accommodation inside the fortress, paying council taxes, taxes and rent. 
they must own a home uh, outside the fortify fortress to occupy when they retire. What a deal. I mean, I guess maybe next you got to live there. But I would love a tour like that. The community of the Tower of London is made up of the yeoman orders and their families, the resident governor and officers, a chaplain and a doctor. They participate in the ceremony of keys every night. In July 2007, Moira Cameron became the first female yeoman warder. And she had joined the army in 85 at age 20. And at age 42, she qualified as a warrant officer class 2 to uh, become a yeoman warder. So that's that's about time. Uh, yeoman warder raven master. Holy cow, I'd like to just be called the... Just Raven Masters and I go, oh, wow, holy Game of Thrones, uh, to maintain the welfare of the Ravens of the Tower of London. And uh, they've been there since King Charles II. And legend maintains that if the Ravens ever leave the Tower, uh, it's not good, just like in Game of Thrones, I think, maybe. The Raven, Yeoman Warder Raven Master. Maybe that was if Jerry Garcia ever played Dungeons and Dragons, that's what he asked to be called. Uh, here's another thing that came up was blueprints, which I don't know a lot about. You know, you see them and you want, I mean, I wonder what the heck is a blueprint anyway? It's a reproduction of a technical drawing, uh, documenting architecture or engineering design using a contact print process and light sensitive sheets introduced in the 19th century. It allowed rapid and accurate reproduction of documents using construction and industry. It was characterized by light-colored lines and a blue background, a negative of the original. Uh, the process was unable to reproduce a color or shades of gray. Uh, various base materials have been used for blueprints. Paper was a common choice, linen, uh, vellum or something, polyester film, mylar. It has been displaced by a Diazo white print process or large format Xerox, you know, photocopiers. But those are usually called prints or drawings. It can also more formally refer to just anything like a floor plan. In 1861, uh, Poitabin, a uh, French chemist, uh, found that ferro du galate in gum is light sensitive. Light turns this into an insoluble permanent blue. A coating of this chemical on paper or any other base is used to produce an image from a translucent document. So that was coated on the paper from an aqueous solution and dried. And the coating was yellow. In darkness, it was stable for up to three days, clamped under glass in a light-transmitting document in a daylight's exposure frame, similar to a picture frame, Put out into the daylight, requiring a minute or two under the bright sun, or ten times that under overcast, or you could use ultraviolet light, uh, and the transmitting, uh, transmitted the coating converts to a stable blue or black dye. Uh, the image can be seen forming, and when a strong image is seen, the frame is brought indoors, and uh, the unconverted coating under the originalism image is washed away. Papers then dried. Uh, the result is a copy of the original image with a clear background and area, clear background area rendered dark blue, and the image reproduced as a white line. The image is stable. 
The contact printing process has the advantage that no large field optical system is required. Uh, further uh, advantages, it's the same scale as the original. And another quality is you can't mess with it because of the dark background. You can't add new uh, information. can't be easily altered. Sometimes it's a strength, sometimes a drawback. So that's cool. Um, uh, all other blueprint processes were based on photosensitive, photosensitive ferric compounds have been used. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing the things people can do when they experiment and set their mind to stuff. Now, what about this Met Gala? We hear about it every year because somebody's always stealing the show. Musky, uh, nice job. Uh, this year, and you know, Ryan Gosling every year probably steals the show. But I always say, what is that? Uh, now I and I know enough so I could not remember it. It's uh, the Met Gala, formerly called the Costume Institute Gala, and also known as the Bent Ball, is an on, on annual fundraising gala for the Metropolitan Museum of Art's Costume Institute in New York City. And it marks the grand opening in the Costume Institute's annual fashion exhibit. Uh, and each year, the event celebrates the theme that of this year's Costume Institute exposition. And it sets the tone for the formal dress of the night, since guests are expected to cho- choose their fashion and match the theme of the exhibit. Uh, following the event, the exhibition, exhibition runs for several months. Uh, it's one of the most exclusive social events in New York and one of the biggest fun night, fundraising nights in the city. In 2013, they raised $9 million, $12 million the following year. And it obviously is one of the most notable sources for funding for the Institute. You know, they get all the glitter, like all the glitter out of there for real. It's a fashion industry's premier red carpet event. And widely reviewed fashion, critiqued and emulated. And, you know, they closed the museum for the day. Uh, let's see. Uh, rivals, uh, Vanity Fair's Oscar party. Said to have more uh, star power. Oh, no, that has more star power, but less uh, fan fashion panache. In 2014, it was 30000 bucks just to go, if you were invited, probably. Uh, maybe they even raised the price 10000 more. 650 to 700 people are on the guest list. Uh, each year, they have a theme. Let's see some of these themes. It's 70s fashion plate, untailored garments, American women of style, glory of Russian costume, a Vanity Fair treasure trove. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Man in the Horse, the costumes of Royal India, in style, uh, from Queen to Empress, uh, Age of Napoleon, uh, Survival of Hortgehoikature, uh, Gala Held, but no costume exposition in 1991 92. Uh, Diana Vreeland, uh, Christian Dior, Gianni Versace, Cubism and Fashion, that was 1998, Rock Style, 99, Jackie K, 2001, uh, 2003, Goddess, the Classical Mode, 2004, Dangerous Liaisons, uh, uh, House of Chanel, 
Tradition and Transgression in British Fashion, Superheroes, 2008, Models of Muse, American Woman, Alexander McQueen, Shreya Pirelli and Prada, Punk Chaos to Couture, Charles James, China Through the Looking Glass, Manus Ex Machina, Ray Kubo, The Art of In-Between, and this year, Heavenly Bodies, Fashion in the Catholic Imagination. See, I'm not so hot at pronunciating. What about almond milk, briefly? What's in there? Almonds and what else? It's it's a plant milk manufactured from almonds uh, with a creamy texture and a nutty flavor. It contains neither cholesterol nor lactose. Uh, Some vegans like it, some lactose intolerant, people that don't like dairy. Comes in different flavors, can be made at home. Uh, been around since the Middle Ages uh, in both uh, the Islamic world and Christendom. Suitable for consumption during Lent uh, or fasting strictly for arist- arist- aristocracy. Uh, let's see. Um, it was a niche food item until the early 2000s when it got popular. Uh, surpassed soy milk in uh, 2013. Uh, 2014, 60% of plant milk sales. It doesn't tell me what's the production. Oh, here we go. Grinds almonds in a blender. Strain out the almond pulp with a cheesecloth. Uh, you know, with water. Okay, so it's just so all, water soaked with almonds. Uh, uh, it could be, uh, so, uh, it would, I mean, uh, 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 it's good to know, like, with, like, uh, and I guess I probably did though, and I forget. I said, "Oh, it's just a water." So, so I said, "Oh, maybe I just forgot it for that reason." What about willow trees? Uh, uh, what do we need to know here? They're uh, watery bark sap, abundant watery bark sap, uh, heavily charged with uh, uh, different things, uh, large uh, fibrous uh, roots. Uh, roots readily sprout. Their leaves are typically elongated. And uh, frequently with uh, serrated edges, most are deciduous, a few semi-evergreen willows. Uh, a couple in the Mediterranean are uh, uh, semi-evergreen. All buds are lateral, no terminal buds, uh, single-scale buds. The trees that are your buds, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, um, willows. Uh, I like willows, what can I say? But I want to get these last two. What about madras? M a d r a s. It's a lightweight cotton fabric, typically patterned texture and plaid design, used for summer clothing such as pants, shorts, dresses, and jackets. Uh, it takes its name uh, from uh, where it originated in India. It can be in uh, plaid patterns, regular cotton, seersuck, patchwork. Um, uh, cutting several madras plaid fabrics into squares or rectangles and sewing them into mixed plaids. And uh, let's see, must be hand-woven, uh, fragile, short, stable carbon fiber that can't be cone, combed, only carded, and resulting in bumps known as slubs, which are thick spots in the yarn that give it its unique texture. 
It caught in his hand died after being spun into yarn and woven and finished in some 200 villages in the Madras area. That's just a little bit about Madras, and then we fly all the way back to Teaneck, New Jersey to find out uh, just a little bit about Teaneck. What are a few facts about Teaneck, New Jersey? It's in Bergen County, suburb of the New York City area, metropolitan area. Yeah, population 39,776 in 2010, and its population was up 1.3% from 2000. Uh, second most populous uh, in the Bergen County, behind Hackensack, uh, created on February 19th, right around my birthday, 1895, uh, from portions of the Inglewood Township and Ridgefield Township, both of which are now defunct, uh, along with Bogota and Leon- Leonia. Uh, Independence filed the result of a referendum uh, where they voted 46 to 7. Uh, whatever, succumbing to the borough craze. Uh, they wanted to be a township and not a borough, uh, I guess. Uh, uh, Teaneck lies at the junction of Interstate 95 and the eastern terminus of 80. Oh, wow, that's where 80 ends. Uh, also bisected by Route 4 and the CX, uh, CSX Transportation River Subdivision. Uh, has commercial developments, crossroads at the River Road, train, and other geographical features has made uh, many momentous events over the centuries. Uh, after the battle for Washington, George Washington and the troops of the Continental Army retreated across New Jersey, uh, traveling through Teaneck and crossing the Hackensack River at Newbridge Landing, which is now State Park. Uh, uh, so that's interesting. Teaneck is not known the name or the meaning. It's speculated it could be a Dutch or English word in the woods or something. Or it could be from the Dutch uh, neck where there are willows. Uh, so another use of willows. Uh, let's see. There's a neighborhood called vicariously called East Hackensack or New Hackensack. Uh, I don't know what that is. Uh, Washington passed through there. Uh, then he watched 6,000 British troops travel up the river by boat. Uh, uh, he and his troops had to ab- abandon their position on the Palisades. Uh, crossing New Bridge Landing. Uh, this is the soldiers ill-equipped uh, led Thomas Paine to compose a pamphlet, The American Crisis, which he said, get your act together. Uh, after the revolution, it became a quiet farm community, and uh, you know, fruits and veggies uh, were brought to Patterson in New York City. The uh, largest estate in Teaneck belonged to Will- William Walter Phelps, a r- railroad, son of a railroad magnate, uh, and a New York City merchant. Uh, now it's the site of the uh, municipal government complex. So this is a little bit about uh, Teaneck, New Jersey, Willows, and some other stuff. And that concludes our season of uh, The Good Place, uh, which was good. Uh, it was good to be here. Good to be in this place. Uh, good night. I want to thank everybody that reviewed the podcast over on, uh, on iTunes, Apple, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, 
Yeah, let's see, Jonesy Boy, 189 from the UK. It says, for years I struggled with my sleep. I finally have looked for something to take my mind off of thoughts and world of sleepfulness and dreams. Uh, this podcast just, just does just that. Thanks, Scooter. You've done really well with that. Respect, Harrison. Thanks, Harrison. Uh, K.A. says, let's scooter, scooter you into a realm of relaxation. If anyone has issues sleeping, let me introduce you to Sleep With Me Podcast. Help me during uh, some of the roughest nights of my life. Uh, dealing with a lot of things where I needed a distraction. Uh, listen, like if you have insomnia almost uh, every night or once a year, give it a try. These aren't uh, bedtime stories so much as a calming, rumbling, rambling, lazy, one-worded, one-sided conversation to accompany to slumber. Uh, how about K DK T M M D from Belgium? What up? Uh, for every tosser and turner in bed, so happy that it works. A H D F E D F E D N. It took a few times, but it helps a lot. After listening to Scooter, it really helped after a few nights. Uh, much better than radio, TV, or other podcasts. Uh, they could wake you up. Uh, would love to read your stories. Working on that. My sleeping pill is from Julietta K. from the UK. Scooter nailed it. He's there for me. Keep me coming in the deep dark night because he knows how it is to suffer from insomnia. Found the secret. Tells me a story that's crafted with love. So I drift away into fairyland. A love you, mate. An Argentinian living in London. Thank you. Yeah, here's another bot, uh, like uh, RG1159-5205 uh, from Thailand. Uh, we're going worldwide on this one. Uh, best place before uh, best place before to bed. Uh, go, I go to bed. Uh, it's helpful with my English, and I've been listening to Sleep With Me all episode every night. Pretty sweet. Uh, how about F SF Panda Cat? Uh, Thanks, Scooter. Scooter rocks, charming, funly, funny, endlessly soothing. You'd like to listen to more of his stories, but no, I'm out like a light. Uh, sometimes I surface from sleep while the podcast is still on, and I drift again, away, smiling again and giggling. Amazing gift to the world. Thank you. Thank you. You think this is another one? Is this a... Oh, this is a... That was an updated one. Uh, uh, H-A-H-D-F-E-D-N also did another review. Uh, keeping it, keeping it coming. Uh, Kelzadon uh, says works every night. I've come to depend on this podcast. Uh, thank you and keep up the awesome work. And Kelly R says basically my favorite podcast. A soothing voice. It listens several nights a week. Helps me shut down before bed. So thanks everybody reviewing the show over on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, and don't forget, Sleep With Me is a proud member of Night Vale Presents. You can check out all of the amazing shows at nightvalepresents.com. If you need to find our store, become a patron, or you're curious about tonight's sponsors, uh, just go to sleepwithmepodcast.com. All of it is there, and uh, thanks and good night.